0: Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Father God, we invite your presence. We invite the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures which you've inspired to be written, to open the hearts of men whom you have created to open the destinies and the legacies of the men that you have brought to this sacred meeting to be in your presence. Lord Jesus, keep yourself please in the center of our gaze and heal us in the presence of the Father. And Father God, we invite you to reveal yourself to these men in this moment to change their destiny, to alter their legacy in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Never forget, there was some years ago I was watching a UFC fight, and uh, there was a guy who finally had battled his way through the ranks. Not a very big guy, uh, but had a really powerful left hand. And he won the championship for the UFC, and as they were putting the belt strap on him, one of the commentators put a microphone in his face and asked him, How are you feeling? What do you have to say? And I'll never forget, I was sitting at home that day and I was absolutely astonished that grown man, that strong man, that triumphant man started to weep bitterly. And through his tears with a broken voice that emerged from a broken heart, this man said, looking at the camera, see dad, I did amount to something. Every fight he had ever had, he put the face of his father on the body of his opponent and knocked them out until he was the toughest man in the world at his weight class. A successful man, a strong man, and a man with a father wound. Every fight he had ever had, he was fighting his father, battling his father father, engaging his father. I read the story of his upbringing when he was a little boy around the age of seven. He tells the story that his dad put a loaded gun in his mouth, looked at him, and told him, I would pull the trigger, but I don't think you're worth the cost of the bullet. Every man who's here is marked by his father, for good or for evil by his father. Every man here is dominated by his father. Some of you will say, I have no father. Your life, your history, your destiny thus far has been dominated by the empty chair at your dinner table when you were a little boy. There are six kinds of fathers. Which kind of father did you have? Which kind of father are you or will you be? Some of you, the story of your dad is one that is tragic. He died of cancer. He got hit by a drunk driver. He was a first responder for the military, for the police department, and or for the fire department. And he died giving his life for the sacrifice and service of others. You miss him, but you're probably not embittered against him. In fact, you're probably proud of him. For some of you, the story of your father is terrible. Your father was a terrible man. He was happy to sleep with your mother and then he left once you arrived. He was not gonna put food on the table. He was not gonna put a Bible in your hand. He was not gonna put a kiss on your forehead. He abandoned you, he was a terrible man. Some of you, your father was tough, he was there, but he was more like a football coach, he was more like a military drill sergeant. He intimidated you, he domineered you, he bullied you, he threatened you, maybe even he raised a hand against you. That's why some of you love sports, because it was the only way you got any affection or affirmation from your father. Some of you, your dad was not tough, he was present, but he was tender. He was a sweet guy, he was a nice guy. He was most talkable in high school. He was most likable in college. He was a real sweetheart of a guy. But he had no spiritual vertebrae, he was a jellyfish. He wouldn't stand up, he wouldn't fight for the family. He couldn't make any money at work because the other guys would conquer and dominate him. He let your sister date, sleep with, get abused, raped by, really bad, tough guys, and he didn't like conflict, so he would put his family in harm's way. If he was a Christian, this was particularly confusing. A man needs to know when to be tough. He needs to know when to be tender. Some of you, your father was tolerable. He wasn't an awful man, he wasn't an awesome man. He did an okay job, and compared to most, you had it pretty good. Somewhere on the scale from Homer Simpson to Ned Flanders, he was a C student somewhere in the middle. (laughs) And some of you had a terrific dad. Your dad stayed faithful to your mom. Your dad gave you a Bible. Your dad put the family in the car, and took them to church to sit under the life-giving word of God. Your your family was led by a man who knew when to be tough and tender. Your, Your father was present. He worked hard. He fed the family. He provided not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually. He protected physically. He informed theologically. He pursued you evangelistically. You had a terrific father. Not many of you did. If you did, you need to know you're a unicorn. For the other men in the stadium, we've heard about terrific fathers. We didn't see one ever. We thought they were an imaginary, fictitious creation. We didn't know they were real. How about you? What kind of dad did you have? I was watching the NFL draft the other night. I want to thank my mom. I want to thank my grandma. What about your dad? I don't know where he is. Isn't it amazing that in in the sport that we find the most masculine, the most aggressive men, maybe they're all fighting their father. How about you? What was your dad like? God told me two things I'm supposed to do before I get on a plane later today. He wants to heal you and then he wants to fill you and then eventually he's gonna send you. Yeah, that's right. But this is where God needs to heal you. Let's talk not about you, let's talk about your dad. You didn't arrive on this planet like the Lord Jesus with no earthly father. You came from some man. What is he like? tell you a little bit about my story. We were O'Driscoll, Irish. Irish. So we had two emotions, angry and drunk. Those were our emotions. You put those together and it was not good. We were the O'Driscolls in County Cork, Southern Ireland. Right? Irish Catholic. So if you're here, Catholic boy, welcome. My name's Father Mark. I hope you enjoy the Mass. Right? My family... Violent, drunken, mean, nasty men, not great guys. We were pirates. I'm not making that up. We were pirates. One of the most legendary things we did, we rode out in the Baltimore Harbor and seized a ship filled with wine. We were not just pirates, we were alcohol pirates, right? That's varsity, that's what that is, varsity pirate. So we rode out, we seized a ship filled with wine, we took all the wine and we drank most of it i think we sold some of it it started an international incident where the nation that was transporting the wine came back took a bunch of irishmen a bunch of us mixed took us as slaves that's that's our claim to fame here's my point don't judge a man by where he's at judge him by where he started some of you guys your dad was a deacon you were born in the red zone Some of you guys, your dad was an alcoholic, you're born on the five yard line, you had 95 yards to go. Some of us were born in the parking lot, we didn't even make it into the stadium, okay? What happened then is the men in my family, alcohol, violence, not a good bunch of men. Then the potato famine hits. We're starving to death, my great-great, I don't know how far down the line, grandma dies of either typhoid or starvation. My great, 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 whatever it is, Grandpa makes the long walk from County Cork up to Dublin, jumps on a coffin ship. They call it a coffin ship because it was built to transport goods, not people, and most of the people who ventured under the hull of that ship died. He went alone as a widow, landed in New York. The mix weren't super welcome, so he ended up going to be, of course, a red potato farmer. That's what us Irishmen do. We drink alcohol and we grow potatoes, that's what we do. End up in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Got a plot of land, married another woman, started having kids, that's where I was born. At the family homestead, and it was not impressive. When I was a little boy, I went to visit my grandpa, didn't really know him because there was such alcohol and violence in my family. When I was born, my mom moved us far, far, far away. As soon as we could afford a full tank of gas, we left. I went back to see my grandpa when he was dying. He had a janky little house, the corner of which was held up by a car jack. I don't think that was the intended use of the car jack. That was a modification. We come from poverty, we come from violence, we come from father, son, father, son, father, son, tragedy, 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 tragedy. And then at the age of 19, God saved me, and I met my Heavenly Father. And then God did something extraordinary, and that is when I was a young man, God saved my Father. Do not stop praying for your Father. Do not be embittered against your Father. Pray for your Father, wait for your Father in Heaven to deal with your Father on Earth. My dad got saved, met Jesus. Became a completely different man. One of the most historic days of my whole life, we were in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And I'm there with my dad and my son, his grandson. I baptized my dad and we turned around and baptized my son. Three generations, curse broken. Curse broken. Here's what I found. There's only one thing more powerful than a man, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that'll break a man in a good way. It's the one thing that'll heal a man in the right way. It's the one thing that will surrender a man in a triumphant way. What I wanna talk to you about is something that I don't believe I have ever talked about publicly. It is something that affects all of us culturally, and it is likely the reason that you are here. I will call it the father wound. My text is Malachi four, five, and six. Those of you who know the Bible, this is the last verse of the Old Testament. What do you save for the end? That which is most important. We save the best for last. This is the last word of the Old Testament. This is God's final statement. And then there are 400 years of silence until Jesus comes to deal with this problem. His, that is John, this is Jesus' homeschooled oddball cousin. Okay, John lived in the woods, ate bugs and honey, wore a Jedi robe, he was eccentric, okay? That's how homeschool kids are, that's John. John's preaching will turn the hearts of, what's the word? Fathers. Raise your hand if you're a father. How's your heart? Where's your heart? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a what? America's cursed. You were born in a cursed nation You grew up in a cursed nation. You live in a cursed nation. If you are a father, you're raising your children in a cursed nation. If you have grandchildren, you are raising them up in a cursed nation. Our land is cursed because the hearts of fathers are not toward their children. The fact that the most dangerous place for a child to exist is their mother's womb indicates that fathers do not have hearts for their children. And children do not have hearts for their fathers. Good luck trying to get a television show called Father Knows Best on television today. Every cultural depiction of a father is of an idiot who is absent, and every movie that your children watch The dad is an imbecile, the child is brilliant, and the pet, that is the dog, cat, gopher, saves the day, and dad didn't even know it. Right? Things are not going well for fathers and their children. For the first time in our nation's history, the majority of children born to women under the age of 30 are born out of wedlock. 40% of children go to bed tonight without a father. At some point, the majority of children will live in a home not with their father, but with their mother's boyfriend. It is normative today to have no father. You get to the teen years, The number one consumer of pornography is 12 to 17-year-old boys. They're not marrying till 30, which means from 12 to 30, they are preparing themselves for nothing but a head-on collision as fathers. As men get a little bit older, we've created something called adolescence. It's a new life stage. It used to be you were a boy, you go through a rite of passage, you become a man. Paul says, when I was a child when I was a boy, I thought like a boy, I acted like a boy, I reasoned like a boy, I spoke like a boy. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. We created this extended season of adolescence and now guys in their 20s are the least likely to go to church, the least likely to be in college, the least likely to have a driver's license compared to women. Not only that, Today, among young millennial men, more are living with their mother than their wife. How do you know if you've got a father wound? Some men have a great fear of marriage and family. They are paranoid and paralyzed to marry and have children and take on that responsibility. I call them boys who can shave. They look like men, but they refuse to take the responsibility that God assigns to men. Some of you, it marks itself with a rebellious spirit. A father is to provide an authority structure, and if you have a father wound, you rebel against all authority. You think it's punk rock and cool. It's not. One dad said amen. All right. Number three, the father wound shows up when you're very self-indulgent. Because if you grow up in a home with you and your mom and there's no dad, mom makes you the center of the home. If there's a dad, you realize very quickly, I'm not the most important man here. Amen? Some of you are theological. Some of you, like me, are nerds. Some of you read books written by dead guys. That's because you have a father wound. You don't want a father who's really involved in your life So you wear a Spurgeon, Edwards, Luther, or Calvin is my homeboy t-shirt because for you, you've got a father wound and you've picked a dead guy to be your daddy. Gotcha. Part of it shows itself up with this recent phenomena of God as mother. Jesus said to pray, our father. I didn't know that was confusing. God is not engendered, but he reveals himself as father. I'll unpack that in a moment. But some of you have a hard time relating to God as father and it's because of a father wound. Some of you it's brother battles in your church, in your ministry, in your company. It's all young men and it's all conflict all the time because there's no father in the house. And lastly, it projects itself forward with a bad view of God. Most of your views of God are either a projection of your view of your earthly father or a rejection of your view of your earthly father. Let me say that again. Your view of God tends to be a projection or rejection of your earthly father. Atheist, I got no dad. Agnostic, I never met him. Deist, he lives far away, isn't involved in my life. Arminian, he lets me do what I want. Calvinism, he's overbearing, domineering, and not very nice. Liberal, he he just, he he buys my beer. He lets me do whatever I want because he loves me. He's a permissive parent. In the charismatic and Pentecostal traditions, the Holy Spirit is loved in the reformed, fundamental, Bible world, evangelical world, Jesus is loved, it doesn't matter where you go, the Father is forgotten. Good luck finding any teaching about the Father. That's why some of you guys love Jesus. Let me do this very carefully, let me thread the needle. I love Jesus, I'll just lean over the plate and take one for our team, amen? I do love Jesus, but some of you would say, I love Jesus, but you can't say I love the Father. Some of you say, I want a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't say I want a personal relationship with the Father. Some of you say, I want to be like Jesus, but you can't say, I want to be like the Father. It's because you have a father wound, and you don't understand the fatherhood of God. That's why some of you get so excited about Jesus. It's because you love a a focus where the Son is the hero and the Father is forgotten. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the... The Father, but through me. Jesus' job is to get you to your dead. Jesus gives you your forgiveness. Your Father gives you your healing. You could be forgiven and still broken. The Spirit's job is to get you to the Son for forgiveness, the Son's job is to introduce you to your Father for your healing. I want to talk to you about God the Father. We want to heal your father wound today. We want to free you up to be a good father, physically or spiritually. Now here's how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6:9. You've all heard it. They come to Jesus, they want to know how to pray. Jesus says pray like this. Pretty simple. What's he say? Our Father. father. Our Father. That's what he says who art in heaven. Okay, now here's the deal. We live, listen to me. You young, too cool for school, I roll my own cigarettes, I got a tattoo and I can play guitar. You guys need to pay double attention and make notes on this. We live our life not culture up, but kingdom down. The problem with the whole world, it's living culture up. You're the men of God, you need to know, culture comes to an end. And the kingdom of God endures forever. That we are to live kingdom down. So we don't look at the culture and fathers and project that on God the Father. We look at the kingdom, meet our Father, and then judge and evaluate fatherhood in all cultures by the character of that Father. Our Father. Now this is unique. When you read the Old Testament, roughly 15 occasions, It'll say something about the fatherhood of God, usually in relation to the nation of Israel, not to an individual. All of that changes when Jesus comes along. Roughly 165 times off the lips of Jesus that we read in the gospels, the four biographies telling his story, he calls God Father. It's Jesus' favorite title for God. Father. 165 times. How often do you talk to God the Father? How often do you talk about God the Father? I'm blessed to have five children, three boys, two girls. I would be devastated in my home if I never heard my name. There is no indication that any religious teacher of note use the concept of Abba or Father in reference to God until Jesus utters these words. Jesus alters human history, he reframes our destiny, he reveals to us the Father, he opens up historically a brand new, unprecedented, unparalleled understanding of God as Father. So in the remaining time that I have, I want to talk about the relationship of God the Son with God the Father. I want you to see that your relationship with God the Father should be patterned after the relationship of God the Son. Firstly, Jesus lived from the Father's identity. You may remember the story. When Jesus was being baptized, he comes up out of the water. The entire Trinity is there. The Father speaks from heaven. The Son is coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove. And a voice comes from where? Heaven. Whose voice is that? That's the voice of the Father. And here's what he says. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus worked from his identity, not for his identity. You need to know this, you achievers. God didn't create you to be achievers, he created you to be receivers. Your identity is not something you achieve, it's something you receive. At this point, Jesus has not preached a sermon, he has not cast out a demon, he has not performed a miracle and the father is well pleased before his son does anything. If you are a son of the father, he is pleased with you regardless of your performance and your identity will transform your activity. Who you are changes what you do. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. Some of you would ask, I'm not a Christian, who is my father. If you are here, my dear friend, I love you, I do not write the mail, I deliver it. My job is not to write the mail or to edit the mail, but to deliver the mail. I wanna have a sober moment with any of you men who are not yet Christian. Spiritually speaking, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus says, your father is the devil. None of you is an independent man. There are only two teams in this stadium, the sons of God and the sons of the devil. Those are the only two categories. You, my friend, have the most important decision to make of your entire life. Will I receive the forgiveness that my big brother Jesus paid for on the cross? And will I become adopted into the family of God as a son of God? or where I live the rest of my life as a son of the devil and stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account along with my spiritual dad. For those of you who do know and belong to the Lord Jesus, and you are sons of the living God, Romans 8 speaks to you, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father! Abba, Father! That's my dad! My dad knows me! My dad loves me. My dad seeks me. My dad saves me. My dad forgives me. My God, my dad heals me. My dad adores me. My dad will never leave me. My dad will never forsake me. My dad will never abuse me. My dad will never abandon me. My dad will never lie to me. My dad will never turn his back on me. My son... My son, 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 those are my boys. That's the father heart of God. That's the father heart of God. You're His son. Number two, Jesus worshiped in the Father's house. Luke 2, 49, he's a young man. His mom and dad come looking for him. Jesus, where have you been? He said, did you not know that I needed to be in my Father's house? Church isn't for God, it's for you. God don't need church. You do. You do. you need to lead your family to the father's house. It's not your wife's duty to lead your family to the father's house. If you are sitting on the couch well, your wife takes your sons to the father's house, you need to realize you're not the only son in that house. And boy, you need to get up out of the chair and go meet with your dad. Your boys will become like you, your daughters will marry men like you, so make sure you lead them to the father's house. When the father converts, statistically, the mother and the children convert. When he does not, they do not. You are the leader of your family. The question is not, are you the leader? The question is, are you leading them to the father's house? You are to lead yourself and your family to the church of Jesus Christ, to sit under the word of God, to be in the presence of God, to be with the people of God. That's what sons do. They spend time at the Father's house. Number three, Jesus reflected the Father's heart. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father lives in heaven. We are here on earth. Jesus comes as a mirror to reflect. That's what worship is. We're made in the image and likeness of God to mirror. So when we look at Jesus, we see the Father's heart. If you love the love of Jesus, if you love the mercy of Jesus, if you love the justice of Jesus, if you love the compassion of Jesus, if you love the truthfulness of Jesus, if you love the commitment of Jesus, ultimately what you love is the Father's heart. You love the Father's heart. This is why you and I are here. We're supposed to be like Father, like Son. Not perfect like Jesus, but we are to mirror the Father. We love with the Father's love. We forgive with the Father's forgiveness. We give with the Father's generosity. One of the most sacred moments of my whole life when my daughter was little, I'd sing with her despite this voice and I would pray with her and I'd read the kid's Bible with her and then she would look at me and she'd say, Daddy, wrap me up like a burrito. So I would tuck all the covers in around her and then she would say, I'm so glad that I have two daddies, a daddy in heaven who loves me and a daddy on earth who loves me too. First time my little girl told me that, I started crying. She said, daddy, are you sad? I said, no, I'm the happiest I've ever been. When she hears the word father, I want her to smile and not struggle. Now let me tell you that you need to forgive your earthly father if you want to reflect your heavenly father until you've forgiven your earthly father. I don't know who he is, I don't know what he said, I don't know what he did. Some of you are here and you're blessed because you had a terrific dad. Your conference could be in a phone booth. For the rest of us, okay, for the rest of us, you need to forgive your father on earth so that you can reflect your father in heaven. You need to forgive your father on earth so you can reflect your father in heaven and Jesus says from the heart. Some of you, this is the day that you need to forgive your father and send that case to your heavenly father and as a son, choose not to try that case. It doesn't mean that he is getting away with anything, it means that you're trusting your heavenly father to deal with everything. What that does, that releases you from the place of bitterness, judgment, and vengeance, and it puts you in the place of love, forgiveness, healing, and blessing. The last two. I'll skip the next point for the sake of time. Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. One of the final statements we hear from the Lord Jesus is in Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. A son articulates his pain, his fear, his longings, his hopes, his dreams, his concerns to his father and says, your will be done. Father, I do not necessarily understand, but I understand one thing, and that is that I can trust you. You and I as men need to understand that the safest place to be is in the will of God. In this moment, our big brother Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and to suffer and to die in our place for our sins as our savior and our substitute and to reconcile us to the Father so that we might be adopted into the family of God as the sons of God. And in that moment, he is struggling, he is wrestling and he's articulating to the Father his struggle, but it ultimately is surrender. My dear friend, I don't know where you're at today Maybe you didn't want that divorce. Maybe you don't want that job. Maybe you didn't want to lose that job. Maybe, maybe you're devastated that your children went wayward, that whatever it is, you're, you're in your Gethsemane moment as Jesus was and you're up late at night as he was, and you're shedding your tears as he did, and you're filled with anxiety, stress, duress, and distress, and the father would say, son, come talk to me, come bring your burdens to me, come bring your fears to me, come bring your hopes to me, but ultimately, you need to surrender to me and trust me. In the most difficult season of my life in recent years, people would come up to me and they'd ask, how are you doing? I said, I don't even know how to answer that question, but here's what I know. I believe I'm in the Father's will. It is not the absence of trouble, trial, or trauma, but the presence of the Father that makes life worth living. I would rather go through hell with my Father than live in heaven without Him. Lastly, Jesus took his father's hand. As Jesus substitutes himself, he is on the cross. He is, there's our big brother taking our place to pay the penalty for all of our sin that we might be forgiven by him and healed through reconciliation to our father. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit And with that, he breathed his last. The metaphor of taking the father's hand, it's what every son of God needs to do every moment of every day. I love you. I wanna help you. I wanna see the father heal you. I'll close with one story I've got five kids, three boys, two girls, love them with all my heart, and I'm blessed to be the dad to some wonderful kids. And how many of you know that becoming a father is part of your healing? When you look at your children and you realize, God loves me like I love them, that God's heart for me is like my heart for them. Some of you men who have become fathers, it is your children that are part of your healing as you understand and receive the Father heart of God. Some years ago, we were gonna take a trip as a family to Scotland. I was going to yell at people. And uh, that's what I do professionally. And, uh, And so I kept telling the kids, it's gonna be amazing. I'm selling the trip. My kids are little. We're gonna see castles. We're gonna go to John Knox's house. We're gonna go see where they wrote the Scots Confession of Faith. We're gonna go to St. Giles Church. We're gonna go to Mary Queen of Scots Castle. We're gonna go down the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. We're gonna catch a connector flight in London. We're gonna ride on a double-decker bus. All my kids are like, "Woohoo!" I'm showing them photos. I'm selling it. My little boy, he's usually a very compliant kid. I always call him my little buddy. He's the youngest. He just looked at me, he's like, I ain't going, I ain't going. I was like, so I, I start selling it even more. Oh, but you can ride in one of those black cabs facing backwards, he's like, I'm not going. The more I sold it, the more he opposed it. I'm like, well little buddy, look at this. I showed him on the internet, look at the Royal Mile. You're gonna go to Castles where they had warriors. I'll buy you a sword. I'll buy you a sword. You want a one-handed sword or a two-handed sword? He's like, I ain't going. Like, Man, I can't, the more I sell it, the more this kid is opposing it. He's not a defiant kid. Eventually, he literally put his foot down, bowed up on me, all like 26 pounds. <laughs> bowed up on me he's like i told you dad i told you for weeks i ain't going i got down on his level i said little buddy i'm your dad i won't have any fun unless you go with me he looked at me he's like you're going I said, yeah, I'm going. He's like, well, I'll go. That poor kid's trying to figure out how to do exchange currency, catch a connector at Heathrow, figure out where the Royal Mile is. He can't even read. This is overwhelming. I literally stood up and he, I started chuckling. I said, well, little buddy, I'm sorry you didn't know that I'm gonna go with you. He's like, oh, cool, dad. He said, I'll just hold your hand. I reached down, I held his hand. I said, yeah, buddy, just like this. He said, okay, when do we go? You are his little buddy.